0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy, oh, I don't even know, uh, second week in May? <laughs>
0: uh, I guess that's the date.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of other uh, like super unique things this week um, in the sports world, I guess.
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is usually a pretty active period of, of sports. you got... Um, obviously, like post-NFL draft, golf is in full swing, um, no pun intended. Baseball's at least starting to like sort itself out, and then the NBA and NHL playoffs are going. Um, instead, we get none of those things um, except the like post-NFL draft that I like, feel like everybody kind of burned out on it pretty quickly. Um, the one thing that is going on, at least that everybody seems to be watching, is The Last Dance over on um, ESPN and on Netflix if you're waiting until the next day. Um, Dan, I don't know if you got to watch episodes seven and eight. Uh, but I really enjoyed it, and and I think that, uh, that Michael Jordan watching other people talk about him on an iPad should be a uh, should be a feature of like NBA coverage going forward.
1: I did. I saw it live last night. Um, I actually thought this was, this was the best, at least my favorite day, because I think it covered a lot of like the ongoing. And as much as there's ongoing mystery about Michael Jordan, I think this really touched on most of the things that people aren't 100 percent on, and whether or not like you buy the stuff. I was actually pretty convinced about both the. Uh, like, all the conspiracies around his gambling and everything, I, I I think the the easiest path forward is just kind of believing what, what was let, uh, let out in front of us. I know that's not, like, the most fun answer, um, but I thought all that, like, that, the baseball thing, like, all the, the weirdness with his first retirement, um, it was, it, I appreciated because that was, like, I was way too young when that all happened. I was four and five around that time. Um the stuff about his dad, uh, which like, I knew, I just didn't, you know, know all the details, but I thought, I thought it was a, uh, and it was also probably the most personal set of two hours that we've seen so far um, with all of that stuff and and the baseball stuff I thought was really fascinating. Like, obviously his baseball career is kind of like a, a punchline, but also, you know, everyone that, that seemed to cover it or like paid attention seemed pretty adamant that if he had stuck with it, you know, maybe he wasn't going to be a star by any means, but he probably would have carved out a role in the majors, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a great watch. It's been good the whole time. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it on Sundays. But uh I thought last night was probably the the best uh two hour block for me so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously with Jordan being an executive producer, with him like playing such a large hand in the dock, like any discussion about the like quote unquote gambling suspension was always gonna be met with like a scoff. Um but, but at the same time, like I did think it was great to hear from a few people about it. Like they did address it, which is even like surprising in and of itself. Um, considering like how ridiculous it, it would be if even like a glimmer of it was true. Um, I think getting an, and getting some insight into like what a, like, you know, competitive head case he is. I, I think it was great to see that in both episodes. Um, just like the manufactured conflicts, things like that, that, that he used uh, to keep himself in it, to, to really motivate himself um, is pretty wild. And I, I, I just, I don't want to sound like an old, you know, just some old guy, but like, it doesn't seem like there's as much of that anymore. Like, like i feel like i could name several nba players from like growing up and like even like before my time that like would do that and, like the only recent one i could think of really is kobe and i feel like a lot of the other guys like just stars of the last you know 15 20 years like there's not a ton of them that could really manufacture conflict like that and then like back it up with just a complete like f u game
1: yeah it's it's amazing because i think there are guys in the nba who could do that now they're just not michael jordan like, I think Patrick Beverly can probably do that. But like, if Patrick Beverly was Michael Jordan, that'd be insane. Like the fact that the best player in the NBA, probably the best player in history, um, had that like, ability to just work himself up into a froth and then go out and store 37 and a half just because some no name from the Wizards did it once against him in a lo- in a loss. is <laughs> um, incredible. Like, I feel like, if you're like a LeBron or a, or a Kevin Durant or, you know, obviously they have their own gripes and like uh, complaints about stuff, but generally it seems like they're, you know, it's not really basketball related and they also don't just have the ability to channel it and like use it as a nuclear weapon against another team, random, like for no real reason, uh, like Jordan did. And that that's, it's pretty incredible. And then like to see him like just acknowledge that half of it was just total BS or made up. And then he could still like acknowledge that it was a complete fabrication but it still worked to get him. He's the only one who's like resulting. Like he's the only one who's uh, like taking and harnessing that energy. It's 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 wild. Um, and super super entertaining.
0: Yeah, I mean, like hilarious levels of pettiness too. Um, that I feel like just would get eaten alive today. Um, either by the media or by fellow players or like whatever. Uh, <laughs> there's just this. There's just, again, it's just this mentality that I just don't think like. Could survive out in the open today, and like then it was not just there, but it was out in the open. It thrived, and I feel like now, like there would be repercussions for it. I don't know what they would be, but I feel like there would be in some way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, it's like you can see see a little bit of it in some guys, even like some higher level players. Like I think Russell Westbrook comes to mind. Where like you can kind of see him taking slights like that, but he can't shoot jumpers. So like it's it's not like he he just has this unbelievable mastery of like every portion right. of the game. So he just went seven does. for
0: forty that game.
1: Yeah. Oh, Russell Westbrook, <laughs> top thirty-five. He was so mad. Yeah. Well, he was completely inefficient while doing it. No, Jordan will just go store fifty-five and then like ride the fourth quarter on the bench uh, while he's yelling at his teammates and and telling them they can't eat after the game. Like it's just it's like it it definitely crosses the line to a point. But like everyone, I guess, seemed to made it made it out on the other side. Okay. So it's it's wildly entertaining. I think from uh, from our perspective. Um, yeah. It's he's a, he's he's such a fascinating. Cause he's so, he's so like in tune and like, you know, had complete control over his team, but he still had this like crazy, the the competitive streak is so beyond what everyone else seems to be across like sports. Like even guys that are his close to his equal in other sports just don't seem to have that, that like manifestation of it. Um, so yeah, I really, uh, I I've really enjoyed it. And you know, if you haven't caught it yet, there, there's, there are far worse ways to spend eight. And then as of next Sunday, 10 hours of your, uh, of your life, especially now when, Time is so is as as un- invaluable as possible
0: right now. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Without spoiling anything else, I would recommend people uh, go watch that. Um, it's on Netflix if you have. I'm sure ESPN's replaying it at some point, or ESPN. You can probably watch it on demand. I don't know, but find yourself a way to watch it. Uh, but Dan, back to uh, you know Syracuse related things. Obviously, wanted to start with my nation this week. It's a uh, what if week, so the blog isn't really, you know, far into this concept. We've been doing this for years, I think as Syracuse fans, and we've had like a whole episode of the podcast recently about this. So I don't want to dive in too far. Um, But uh, Kevin and I in particular are going to be doing a couple of different articles this week um, about, you know, what if not like big, big things, but like these small little changes in the margins that affect a lot rather than like the bigger, you know, what if Syracuse left the big East early or what if this or what if that like other smaller things that have effects, but like it's, it's really debatable how much. Um, so on Monday, uh, Kevin did, uh, what if Jim Beheim left for Ohio state in 1986, which was a possibility, um, at the time he paints his picture of Rick Pitino showing up winning a couple championships, um, and then eventually, uh, leaving and, and giving way to Jim Beheim coming back and winning his own title. Um, Dan, do you think that's realistic? Uh, do you think Patina would have been the higher back then, um, given kind of what we know? Uh, do you think that Jim would have ever come back if he'd left for a place like Ohio State? Um, I think the
1: Patina part of it is pretty realistic. I mean, he was climbing the ladder at that point. Uh, he ended up going to Kentucky, obviously. I think he, you know, Syracuse, maybe, I don't know if he would have had a leg up, but um, his familiarity, his respect for Beheim, him being a Northeast guy, um, could have definitely taken that job. And obviously Patino is a a phenomenal uh, coach, especially in that time period. So um, I definitely think there's a possibility that it could have led to like more short-term success. Um, Bam, coming back, obviously like the fact that he's never left makes it easier to sell yourself on that. Um, I don't know how realistic it is because there's so few instances of it. Um, And it's just hard to know what his, how his outlook would have been. I think there's a chance like he would have had way more resources at Ohio State And like maybe he builds Ohio State into like a power above what they became under Thad Mata um, or have done like in any of their other like, you know, decent runs. Um, But I also think if he had left Syracuse one time, I think there's a good chance he would have been a little bit more of a careerist. Um, So maybe he tries his shot at the NBA and sees if he can bring the zone there. Although the zone wasn't, you know, super integral in the late 80s uh, to the extent it is now or even like by the mid 90s. so I don't know, I, I kind of see him maybe hopping around a little bit more had he left Syracuse once because then he doesn't, you know, then he's breaking the ties to like the one place that really obviously has held him in 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 you know in town forever. Um but it's like, you know, I think once you leave Syracuse, it becomes a lot easier to leave Ohio State and then leave the next place. Um so yeah, I, I think it definitely could have happened. I, I don't know how close he ever really got. It doesn't sound like super close based on the books I've read from him and others. Um but it would have been intriguing because I think you can easily sell yourself on like you know, obviously Ohio State's a football school, but like that's a huge, huge uh, school. Or if they ever wanted to like fully commit to a championship basketball program, like above the level they have now, they could probably uh, have a, a, a punctuous chance at it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you see what happens all the time when schools like Florida do it, when Ohio State did do it, um, some others that have like decided, you know what, we're going to try to embrace basketball, and it usually works out pretty well for them. Uh, so does- yeah, I feel like oh, go for it.
1: I was, it does, and like we saw with the Florida back-to-back titles, like they can do it. They can win championships. I think the thing that would have been less of a draw for Bayheim is that I think it's very hard to build a basketball school culture. Like you see them bubble up some places, but like Florida doesn't even support that program to the extent it should, given what they've won. Um, I always talk about in 2013, like Michigan's had a great basketball program for like a long, long time now. I know it wasn't always the case, but Beeline really turned it into a great program um, in 2013 when they were at the Final Four with us like there were a lot of Michigan fans there. You, I am not convinced there are very many Michigan fans that who had ever attended a Michigan basketball game before. It was a very nouveau riche, um, not very aware of like the college basketball landscape and Austin like Louisville and even Wichita state, which, you know, has a very passionate, if not, you know, but smaller fan base, all were like kind of thumbing our noses at that. And that's kind of what the the football school difference is. Like it's never going to be number one. So like, yeah, you could have a a nice moment at a, uh, at a Florida or a, uh, and, you know, another SEC power that's not Kentucky or, an S- or uh, you know, somewhere in the Big 12 that's not Kansas. But if it's not, if it's a football school, it's just very hard to become the thing. And I think Boeheim, um, I don't know that he would have ever, like, super embraced that. I think he likes when the football program's good. I think he, you know, he's always been really good to the other programs on campus, uh, supporting them. But I think he, I, I bet he kind of relishes in, uh, you know, knowing that it's his, it's his school above all when it comes to sports. And that would not have been the case at Ohio State.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. Um, And I guess to me, like, that would be the main reason why I would think, you know, if Patino had left in that scenario, that he would come back um, almost because, you know, even if – like, if he found a lot of success at Ohio State and then Patino left and he had an opportunity, like, you know, to not return in failure but to return in success and, like, maybe he got Ohio State to a couple final fours, maybe just the championship still eluded him, whatever – um, I could potentially see him coming back. And the fact that, you know, in Kevin's scenario, Syracuse wins a couple titles in a Patino. Now you're not just, now now that Monkey's on just Jim's back, it's not on Syracuse's as well. Um, I think that's a completely different, like, scenario for him. Although I, I do kind of agree with you, though. I think if you find a lot of success at Ohio State, I, I feel like, you know, I've just made this up, but I feel like, weren't there murmurs, like, back in the late 80s, early 90s about, like, the 76ers job? I feel like I remember that from somewhere.
1: It was – there was definitely something with the NBA. I don't know how far it got, but uh, it, maybe the Sixers or maybe Washington at the time, there was somewhere that definitely put out, like, an uh, like a, an overture. Um, I don't think it ever, like, got yeah. super, uh, like, down the road. But you're, you're not making that up. I read that somewhere. I think it might have been in Beheim's autobiography.
0: Yeah, like, so to me, that, like, if, if he could – if he took over in 86 and turns Ohio State into something where, like, they make a Final Four or two by – you know by 91 92 now you're looking at yeah careerist type track where okay like you turned Syracuse into a thing you turned uh Ohio State into a thing and now you're going to turn uh you know the 76ers into a much better uh you know I mean who knows like maybe the Sixers never trade Charles Barkley like there's the, 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 there are a lot of what kind of branch what ifs around that but I found that interesting at least as a concept uh I know for my concept. I know I said we weren't going to do like conference realignment. I'm not doing Syracuse's conference realignment, but what I was going to do um, is just looking at if UConn came to the ACC instead of um, Louisville um, in 2014, and what that would have meant for Syracuse, and what what that would have meant uh, in some respects to the the uh, ACC overall. Um, I feel like obviously you and I agree. Like there's no reality where UConn would have been the better option. Um, I think UConn football would have collectively dragged down a lot of the ACC. Um, I think that there's, there's a real chance though, that even if they're never all that good, that it does make just life harder for, uh, BC and Syracuse, despite the fact that like, I think both programs would still be, uh, you know, in a, in a better place, uh, than UConn's despite, you know, making up a lot of that, uh, revenue disparity, that's kind of hammered them in the last six seven years
1: yeah it's an interesting argument i think you could probably say like on the field syracuse and bc would always have a better chance of beating yukon than they will louisville like we saw even even when louisville totally bottomed out it left it lasted a year like yukon we've seen pretty substantially that it does not last a year um it is a much harder process and it's you know there's just fewer advantages there and louisville has way more uh, athletic spending, um, just a bigger athletic department in general uh, and more serious to building up all of their programs um, where UConn is selling football down the, down the river right now. Um, obviously they've done like a nice job with what they've, they've had, but if it comes to, if it comes to like them just hemorrhaging money on it, like they could come bait very easily and a lot of people wouldn't care. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a pretty, it was a pretty obvious choice at the time. Like Louisville just had a lot going for it, even if, you know, some of it might have been ill begotten. Um Yukon's just just floundering. Um but yeah, it could have eaten into our recruiting a little bit more directly. I obviously we recruit against Louisville, but it's not like across the board where UConn would probably be involved with a lot more of our, our northeastern guys directly. Um so I don't know. I, I don't know what the trade-off there is. I think there's something to having a better conference overall, um, even if we have to deal with them in division, uh, and not, you know, having Yukon kinda of weighing everyone down. Um but I could kind of see it both ways. It'd be nice to have, like, you know, one more Northeastern team. Although I think our Louisville series, like, especially in basketball, I think that that rivalry has kind of grown into, like, a nice thing where we've kind of gotten each other in both sports um, at times. Um, obviously, we crushed Louisville two years ago. Um, they've had our number plenty of times, especially in the Lamar years when we beat Teddy Bridgewater. Like, I, I kind of like where the, the Louisville rivalry is. And UConn is just, like, obviously, it's our, our bigger rival. But it just kind of feels like that we've we've left them in the dust and i i can't i struggle to think that even if they went to the acc at the same time like their problems go beyond just their conference obviously that's one of the biggest ones but they they really haven't had it together outside of that like they couldn't build a successful aac program by any stretch and that's a tough league but like if they can't do that there's no real telling what they would have you know would have done better in the acc it's it's really hard to sell that
0: yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, having ACC type revenues, that's an advantage and, and that probably helps them get to a more equal playing field. But I do agree that, you know, one of the big things that that UConn folks who wanted to leave the AAC the whole time, um, they, they were talking a lot about, you know, the lack of exposure in, in, in New York City in particular and, and the inability to re- attract those high level recruits at the same level they had been before. Um, I think that's something that Syracuse fans, at least the ones that, um, you know, bemoan leaving the big East, um, definitely ID as, as some, as a, as a major drawback. And it's a reason why SU plays, um, you know, in Madison Square Garden or at Barclays Center every year, um, to try to still get that sort of exposure to, to uh, to top recruits. So to me, like, I understand, I don't, I don't necessarily know if UConn coming to the ACC would, would help that for them. Maybe just the constant exposure to Syracuse and the fact that we would play each other twice a year. Um, that would probably do some good uh, for both programs in terms of that New York uh, area exposure. Uh, but at the same time, like I don't necessarily think, um, you know, one, one or two extra games per year in the Northeast for those schools um, would, would fix much. I think in football, yes, they would probably be a little bit better, but they'd be, you know, kind of state school, B.C., or or, or more likely Wake Forest, um, just in terms of, like, you know, creating a facility and a culture that that could compete with the Florida States and Clemsons of the world. And, I mean, it would make our life easier in a lot of ways. We'd end up with, you know, three three in-division games a year um, against Wake Forest, B.C., and UConn, uh, which would be a pretty nice setup. Um, I would think in that scenario at some point it would also push maybe um, divisional realignment because that would, like Louisville, is what makes the divisional realignment the, the divisional alignment we currently have palatable. I think for a lot of people and and, and the powers that be, I feel like if UConn was there, it would, it would be a, it would pretty much be a free pass for, for Florida State and Clemson to the title game every year. um It would probably piss off a lot more coastal division teams.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean it might bring a little more balance, but but not like in the way you want. Um, because Yukon I expect would be you know, a bottom feeder more, more often than not. Um, Yeah. It's, it's basketball wise. It would be nice to have that rivalry uh, pretty consistent twice a year, but we play them a lot. Like it's, I, I miss, there's definitely something lost in the in conference, not being able to play them in a, in a conference champion, a tournament game, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know that it'd be worth the trade. I think you're just, you're making your conference worse for like individual rivalries. I don't think is a, a good equation. And unfortunately, like we've seen that, play out with things like, uh, you know, Missouri and Kansas getting lost and Pitt and West Virginia. But, like, there's a reason why choices were made the way they were. And, like, it stinks that they haven't – there hasn't been more of a pathway to keeping some of those rivalries together. But if it's, like, a one-versus-one thing, I think you need to have your conference in the strongest possible place it can be um, before, like, you worry about, like, one-off basketball games, unfortunately. Just, like, one of those things just outweighs the other by a lot.
0: Oh, yeah, you absolutely had to put the collective um, group before you know those individual schools. And for Syracuse, like they've kind of made their decision at this point um, that as far as rivals go um, in, in non-conference play, it's Georgetown number one, um, UConn as a nice-to-have number two, and we're going to see them in, in, almost certainly in, in the Battle for Atlantis um, in 2021. Um, and then like after that, I don't really think, I think as long as Syracuse can play in New York city at some point during, a, during a given year. Um, and I think what you're seeing too, is that in scheduling wise, SU is making sure they're down there at least once a year. So either they're in one of the the numerous um, early season tournaments that plays at least a game in New York city, or you're seeing the seasons that they don't have the, the seasons that the ACC tournament is, is at Barclays. They're picking a, a, another one. So, like, I think I'm pretty sure that the ACC tournament is in Brooklyn in 2022. So, that would mean so that helps them deal with the fact that they're not in New York City for the early season tournament because of the Battle for Atlantis instead.
1: Yeah. And, even, and it would even shock me to see us schedule like St. John's or something. Like, we've we played them for a couple of years right after we moved. Um, when they poorly. played it, it did go poorly, unbelievably. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like we've been in New York for a regular season, um, even even the years that we were in Brooklyn for the ACC. I think we've had a, a regular season game at either, most likely, MS, more frequently MSG, but sometimes Barclays. I know we played one of the early season tournaments at Barclays as well uh, every single year. I don't think there's been a year since we left the AC, the uh, Big East that we haven't had at least one regular season game down there.
0: And it makes sense. Like I said, I think some of that recruiting angle, like you know, Syracuse has thrived having kids from the New York City area, and obviously, recruiting's changed. There's a lot more. It's not, there's a lot more national programs, but there's a lot more abilities to have national exposure. And I don't think kids from New York city, especially if they're good enough to go pro really worry about being in the New York city area anymore. Um, and, and not that Syracuse is in the New York city area, but even proximity wise, it doesn't matter. Like realistically, you're going to go to the school that's going to get the most eyeballs on you. So if that's Duke and, and many times it is based on last year, I know they had what uh, like, well, not last year, last year, but like two years ago with Zion, I think they had like 30 out of 31 games on national TV. Like, if, if you get to choose uh, how you're going to get the most exposure and the most buzz coming into the league, um, you know, the answer is probably Duke. Um, but there's plenty of other options for you too. I think Syracuse is in that, you know, not that I'd say realistically, like there's a, they're in that second tier of teams that are going to get you a lot of exposure, but we know full well, like within the last decade, when Syracuse is really good, they're going to be on national TV just as much as almost anybody else. Um I think it's just a question of, you know, this isn't going to be like a big basketball recruiting deep dive. It's more of just a a thought process around like how you, how you still get the the New York kids to come to Syracuse without New York being the draw.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's a legitimate take. I think also like just with how national high school and, and uh, AAU basketball is now, it's, there's probably less of a, of a regional focus. Like you said, like, Obviously, I'm sure New York kids want to play at MSG, and uh, then once a year is good, they get to, you know, have their friends and family there, etc. But these kids are traveling so much just for, like, amateur uh, low-level basketball um, that, like, once they get to college, I-, I I can't imagine it's the same focus that it was even, like, 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think a lot's changed, and... And and that's one of like many things. And I think it's the, the one that's less talked about. Like a lot of people will belabor the move from the Big East for Syracuse and 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 you know, just behind getting older and maybe assistants not being as good at getting top level talent. Like all those things can be true, but I think the, the the biggest piece of it is is none of those. I think the biggest piece of it is um just like you said, the 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 nationalization of high school basketball and the AAU circuit and how high school basketball was really kind of turned into um a pretty big like you know money-making enterprise in and of itself and that involves a lot of travel and national tournaments national play um and and these kids aren't like just your your small town guys who who just play in the same like 10 local gyms and that's it like the best players are yeah have had you know spent extensive amounts of time even before they get out of high school spent a sense amount of time in miami los angeles chicago new york uh, and maybe a couple other cities too Like, like it's just it's not even a comparable um like you know, selling point anymore now compared to what it was like 10, 15 years ago.
1: It's, it's. I think this is with everything. Like it's not a Syracuse, a unique Syracuse problem. So it's all about kind of bolstering your school brand and, and you know, making sure that recruits know that this is a place that you can get that level of exposure. And if, you know, we start to crack back into the top, you know, 25, 15, et cetera, where we were for so long, you know, pretty much every single week, uh, it really, I don't think it'll be a problem.
0: Agreed. Uh, Dan, why don't we take a little bit of a break for some beer? Uh, what have you been drinking up late? Uh,
1: aside from some of the, the same kind of local stuff that I've had, you know, the last couple of months, I guess, down here, um, we picked up one of the Oster Brew- Blues variety pads, which is nice. I haven't had Oster Blues in a while. So um had some Dales, which I, you know, drink a lot of back home. Um, Hadn't had one in a long time. So that was nice. And then they also had their uh, their Bliss Tropical IPA and then their um, session One E One Hundred Hazy uh, IPA, which was uh, actually a really nice session IPA, um, and then uh, a couple of Mama's uh, Little Yellow Pills, which are always delightful. So nothing too exciting, but I hadn't had Oscar Blues in a while, so that was uh, nice to find.
0: Nice, yeah. I haven't had Oscar Blues in a while myself. I might have to. I'm trying to, to, to keep the local places afloat, but maybe like once we get out of all this, I'll, I'll grab some Dales. That's always yeah, good. It has been a while that for was... me.
1: That, that it was like a 15 variety pack of cans for 15 bucks and he really couldn't beat that so uh Score. We we're happy to yeah right <laughs> and, and you know we've been drinking plenty of local stuff so i didn't feel too bad about it but uh i'll be up in new jersey next week so i'm going to try to start doing the same there and select uh yeah, the jersey brew, uh beer scene has done pretty good over the last couple of years so i'm excited to see some of that but i know there's a place right by my the, the house that i'm going to be staying in right there that's doing uh, a lot of really good craft stuff that i can go pick up so excited about that
0: awesome um, on my end, uh, some similar stuff. I was just finishing out what I had. Um, still have some left for this coming weekend, but I uh, finished out my uh, four-pack of uh, Highland Park Timbo Pills. Um, I had from Celador. had a bunch of sours, had their uh, uh nectarine. I had Confuzzled, which is a really, really good uh, pineapple, guava, and mango uh, wild ale. And then last night I had uh, Berlinerish uh, raspberry, really good, um, raspberry Berliner Weiss. So like I said, nothing, nothing crazy, but had a few different options, uh, been buying in, in bulk from certain breweries. So I, I don't have the same variety of, of, of brewery options, at least, even if I, I end up drinking just as much as I was beforehand.
1: No, it's tend to support those places. Hopefully everyone else, if you're listening to this podcast and you slug through our, our beer section every week, hopefully you're, uh, doing your part as well.
0: <laughs> Agreed. Um, Dan, quick note for us before we kind of keep going. Um, Syracuse added UMBC to the schedule. Uh, nice of us to add Virginia's arch rival to the slate for 2020 to 2021. Um, I'm excited for this one. Their, uh, their school's Twitter feed is great. Um, I, I mean, I really don't want to lose just because I don't want to get dragged. Uh, but assuming we don't lose, uh, this will be enjoyable and we'll just make fun of Virginia the whole game.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a pretty strong win-win because, like, there are very few non-conference mid-low major games that you can really get a lot of fun out of, and this will be one of them, assuming we don't blow it.
0: Yeah. So Syracuse, take notes. Don't do that. Um, also, uh, I know we we're talking a little bit, a little bit about the Big East before. It does seem like the ACC network starting to realize that people want to watch Big East games, <laughs> at least for us couple different ones on the acc network this week and espnu but like they're all random ones um they're airing in our article uh tuesday they're going to be airing the louisville big big East championship loss from 2013 twice again not sure why we're watching that twice um we're watching a 2010 game uh that we also lost uh that was valentine's day 2010 as i've told the story about this before. I was outraged. Um, my wife did not leave me. She was my girlfriend at the time and <laughs> stuck around despite my uh, just you know, unabated rage in the uh, in the stands that day. Um, there's also a random Marquette game, which like Marquette was not good and we beat them by five. And I guess that was enough to get ACC Network feature. Um, and then we repeat a bunch of lacrosse games on Friday. And then we get, a Syracuse Georgetown game from 2003 when Georgetown wasn't all that good. So progress, Dan. I, I think we're making some progress.
1: They're they're definitely random selections. Um, obviously, there are more losses, which is not you know what you want. Though I guess they do have to serve some other ACC teams in this network. Um, but I, I I do appreciate there are some biggie selections and even with the random ones. Like I don't totally get the Marquette 2010 game. That's not like a super memorable game to me. Um, I'm sure I watched it and. You know, in delight, I guess. Um, but it'll be cool to see, like, you know, if I'm up at 6 a.m. for some god awful reason. It will be nice to see, uh, like, that 2010 team because, like, I haven't gotten a chance to rewatch a lot of those games. So, um, no, I, I do appreciate their They're digging and getting a little more adventurous. Hopefully, uh, that continues because there's plenty of time to
0: fill. Yeah, I, re- I really don't understand the 2003 Georgetown game on ESPNU. Um, because there's so many better Syracuse-Georgetown games, and you could put any of them on ESPN. (laughs)
1: Yeah, like, there should be a Syracuse-Georgetown day, like there was a Syracuse-UConn day, and they, like, I hope they do it, and I hope they really start to stretch back into the 80s, because, like, that's the only way to really make it worth it.
0: Yeah, agreed. You kind of got to, like, lay the groundwork for the the story a bit in the early part of the day, maybe, and then, you know, get to the more modern versions of the rivalry later on. And Uh, if you
1: play the Big East tournament game from 2010, I'm not going to watch that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna boycott that. Um I noted in the article um in the Marquette game, Syracuse only shot eight threes, which is just That wasn't
1: like a hugely prolific three-point shooting team, but like they had a lot of guys who could do it, so that's surprising. Because like Wes and Andy obviously were great shooters. Trish had a really nice year shooting that year, if I remember correctly. Stoop did hit them, Chris did hit them. So that's uh that's kind of weird. That's weird.
0: I mean, just so much has changed. Like I know other like I think because I've been listening to I don't am not like a big Simmons fan anymore, but I do listen to the redraftables uh podcast because I think it's just fun to like hear that conversation and like redrafting certain players and like one of the prevailing points they've been making is like how like just the era like like when you look when you think about the the 8 seconds or less sun, or the 6 seconds or less suns whichever it was um those suns teams like you would think that they jacked up threes all the time that they were like this like, you know, team that was changing the game. And like, they, they were for the time, but they still weren't shooting that many threes. I think they were only shooting. Like, I think it was something like 15 to 17 a game or something crazy like that. And it, it's amazing that like, you know, like, like, like we always used to think like, you know, Andy routins was like this prolific three point shooter. And he was, he was very accurate, but he, he didn't like just, you know, pelt teams with them the way that he would today. And it's kind of funny, like just how much the games changed in like a decade. Um, that, like, you know, any any team is going to only shoot eight threes in a game um, and, like, win. And now, like, that would just never, ever happen, especially for, like, a top five team.
1: And it probably didn't even seem weird when it happened. Like, I don't yeah. remember. No, I'm sure it didn't. Some, like, obviously, we remember, like, the San Diego State stupid uh, aircraft yeah. carrier game where no one could shoot anything. Um, and, like, it was notable there that no one was shooting threes, but there was, like, a good reason for it. I don't think any of us after that. If you looked up a gamer on that game, I would bet that no one was like, "Oh, they didn't really shoot that much." Maybe that like one line of like brief, not super exciting mention. But yeah, it's changed a ton. Um, and it's funny because it seems to have like usually you see the progress go from, especially in football, like the progress where it's like high school to college to the NBA uh, or to the NFL. And in the NBA in basketball, like it really kind of goes from wherever because it really started in the NBA. Despite the fact that college is a shorter three point line, um, more guys who could probably benefit from shooting. Uh, and yet, like, obviously, there are teams that just blast threes, but college is still where you'll find, like, the kind of unathletic big man who's six foot eight, but he's not kind of a stocky who can, like, hit a layup on the block and, like, will score 18 points a game. Like, that doesn't exist in the NBA anymore. So it's, uh yeah, it's it's fascinating how the difference in progress between the two sports shows.
0: Oh, I completely agree. I was also looking at uh, the box score from said Syracuse-San Diego State uh, game. And what I did remember when you were saying that about the threes, I remember one team got the memo to not shoot threes. And the other yeah. team did not. Um, Syracuse went one of four from three um, in the game. And San Diego State went one of 18 from three uh, for the game, a, uh, a rousing 5.6%. Um, they shot <laughs> 17 of 63 on the day.
1: Another game. Uh, you don't have to re-air this one, guys. Like, it's a win. Ever. Uh, it's a notable <laughs> like, never, team. Never, ever. You don't need to do it. <laughs> no one wants to watch that S- shit. SDSU was actually really good
0: then. What's up? They were a top 20 team. SDSU was really good back then. Like That was that run where, like... That was a couple years post Y. Yeah, they were, like, a top... They were, like, annually, like, a top 15, 20 team. They were classed the Mountain West, like... Just a good San Diego State team. And they ended up just... Just looking, like, hot trash this game
1: Yeah, that game might have actually been really fun if it wasn't played on like a windy bat uh, a windy aircraft carrier. I love that we kept on doing those games and every aircraft carrier, not us Syracuse, but like a college basketball, kept on doing those games and every single game had a different issue that made the game either literally unplayable or like figurative figuratively unplayable. Like there was the one that like uh, I think it was Michigan State, Georgetown, maybe, uh, where the uh the the torch just kept on getting super wet. <laughs> From like the wall, and just literally being just... on a boat. It's like, guys, like it's it's a cool idea, but like this is one to leave on the on the uh, cutting cutting room floor. And yet we played a lot of them for a couple years before we got the memo that this was see, like this didn't work.
0: See, the thing is, like this did work for Syracuse. Like being real, <laughs> like I'm looking at this like box score. CJ went seven of fifteen, uh, had ten boards, which is insane for him. Um, Rack scored three points but had five blocks and six boards. Uh, MCW went seven of 15, um, had four had four assists, five steals, uh, also four turnovers, 17 points. And Brandon Trish went six of 11, uh, had five turnovers, but also three steals and four assists for 15 points. Nobody else really touched the ball for Syracuse, save James Sutherland. Yeah, San Diego State, Chase Happley was three of 13. Uh, Xavier Thames was one of 11. Jamal Franklin was three of 12. Uh This was rough. Yeah, I mean, just when you're horrendous. two best players, it's only one player scored in double figures.
1: It's not good. I, for some reason, mentally before we brought this up, I always, for some reason, I thought that was the Tyler Ennis team and not the not the Final Four team. But I guess I, I'm wrong. It is
0: weird that this was, it is weird that this was the Final Four team, actually.
1: Yeah, I just like totally memory hold that as like the Tyler, the first game of the Tyler Ennis team. I don't know why. That's weird. But I remember this was, watching like it.
0: Least, well, because it was like the least like memorable thing that happened that season really yeah it was a it weird was also, season like there was so many weird there was so many odd things that happened to this syracuse team <laughs> it, like, ended yeah, being, they did old.
1: it ended up being kind of fitting because that team so often just mauled people on defense and then couldn't really play great offense except for like some individual superstar efforts from mcw and sutherland and like Fair, obviously, like it was a really there were good offensive players in that team, but it took until March for the offense to really get going, and even then, like the offense was kind of efficient, but it was just more of the defense completely like bludgeoning people, like the Indiana game uh, and the Marquette game, which I was the two games in DC, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Like I don't think our offense played particularly great in those games. Our defense just was just like the best the zone's ever been, and like our offense just didn't need to be better, which is crazy because like I like a lot of those offensive players.
0: Yeah, that was, I mean, they were also like, like super efficient, like, and, and that, that was kind of the difference between, and we talked about this at the time, like that was the difference between like, you know, the 2015 to like 20 teams versus like those like 2013 to like 14 teams was that like twenty thirteen fourteen 14 teams were just very efficient offensively and then bludgeoned you to death on defense. And like most of the good defensive teams of late have not really been efficient offensive squads. And and, and that's really why like a team like Virginia has been able to win is, is they've won when they've been, you know, an efficient offensive group that also grinds, you you know, to dust on the defensive side.
1: Yeah. That's actually interesting. Like that 2013 uh, team was like definitely the most Virginia Beheim team because like all those Virginia teams are, like you said, they're very efficient on offense at their best. And like, you know, Trish, MCW, FAIR, Sutherland can all get you a bucket. Um, and we're all like really reliable offensive players, but they just like controlled and choked out the pace so much. Um, but I thought it was a pleasure to watch because they were so active on defense. And I like that trip to DC was like one of my fondest series memories. So not definitely complaining about it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the AP story about this game, uh, the first words are orange ahoy.
1: Nailed it. That was written a week before <laughs> whoever was sent to write the cover of that game. AP getting, <laughs>
0: a- AP getting a, a little creative with it. had too many IPAs on before they got on the boat.
1: Dallas Point was uh, into business with that writer. I mean, this is,
0: I mean, they 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 get kind of creative. I mean, SDSU 0 for one 0 and one had a miserable day. <laughs> like I feel like miserable had a miserable day is not usually something you see in like an AP write up. I feel like it's uh it's it's like a, a bridge too far for them usually.
1: Yeah, they don't. There's not a. Usually, a ton of uh, you know, editorial uh, flair in those write ups, but kudos to that, whoever wrote it.
0: There's no name on this one. Hmm. But Jim Beheim. <laughs> they started driving our zone just like we started driving their man to man. When we got there, we were bigger, so we could just make them have a tough shot. That was the whole key to the game. Just like when you play outdoors in the summer, Beheim said, you've got to get to the basket. That's why kids from the city don't shoot jump shots.
1: That is a great Beheim quote.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man, that that's the fact
1: that's, that's the thing though. Like New York point guards for like all of their ability. Like, I think part of the reason why New York point guards like stop being this high commodity and like sometime in the 2000s is that like, they just don't shoot it generally. They just dominate athletically and that works to a point. But like, you know, I don't know that pro Washington is able to play the same way now as he did back in the day.
0: Yeah, this is that, that, that's the weird, like the, it, it seems like a weird quote of first and it's actually like pretty informative.
1: No, that's like the behind difference. You need to like, he'll give it to you, you just need to go and get it. Like, he's actually, you know, we talk about a decent amount. He's actually like a, a pretty good cover. He's not super guarded. He'll give you information. You just have to kind of earn it. Yeah, It's totally. actually very, very similar to Saban, actually. Like, you just have to know how to ask the right question, and, and you'll get some good stuff out of him. Or uh, just be national media, to be uh, humble them.
0: Fair. I also like the Steve Fisher quote. Uh, I don't know how good Syracuse is or is going to be. I know one thing, they're not going to get any short.
1: That's a, that's a good one. Remember, we were just so much bigger than everyone every year for a while. Uh, that was a fun time.
0: We still. The thing is, we still were the last few years. We just didn't do anything with it.
1: A lot of that was having Chukwu, though. Like that really
0: drove our numbers up. We. I mean, I think this past season we were one of the, if not the tallest team again. Were we? It just. It, yeah, I think it just didn't matter because we didn't use Marek effectively half the time, and then Barama was not really an offensive threat in any way. So if you have size, but you don't, but it's not utilized on offense, then you can just play five on three and it doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, it also doesn't help when you have to like force uh, Marek into playing the five, like that immediately takes away your size advantage. Um, hopefully this year we'll, I mean, we also have like Jesse Edwards who played in a couple minutes and he's uh, the tallest guy on the team. So hopefully this year we'll get back to a little bit more of that, but with like semester still and, and using that to our advantage.
0: Fingers crossed. Uh, Dan, anything else before we go this week?
1: No, I will hopefully, uh, barring any, any craziness, uh, be back up North next week. I'll have my microphone, uh, so it should sound a little better. Uh, so knock on wood. Uh, but yeah, this is the normal. Everyone stay safe and, you know, uh, support your, your local autonomies and just do what, you, do what you've been doing.
0: Hope you stay safe on your way back up, Dan. And I hope everybody out there, um, also stays safe. And, uh, Dan, appreciate you as always for joining us today. Yes, always look forward to it. Indeed. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy News and Absolute Podcast and rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever you might listen to podcasts, and go orange.
1: Go orange.